Hear the word of the Lord. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head be shaved, then she should cover her head. A man not ought to cover his head, since he is the image of the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from the woman, but the woman from the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God and her head be uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is to her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. The word of our Lord. You can't accuse me of avoiding the hard passages. <laughs> Before the service, I bought into stock of a company that sells head coverings. So if anybody... When I was... Oh, I'm, before I get started, I wanted to... Uh, because two weeks ago I said something here about Tatiana, and that uh, there was a need in her life, and I won't go into all that I said then or all that has transpired since, but good news is that she has found a situation that's going to really work out for her, and we're grateful for that. Yep. When I was doing my uh, doctoral work, this was um, eight years ago or so, um, I got into a topic that I thought would be just right up my alley, and it had to do with men and discipleship and um, trying to help men uh, learn what it means to be men, and especially men who are under the authority of Jesus Christ. And as I got into it, I realized that if I'm going to be talking about male or masculinity, uh, masculine identity, I need to define that. And if I'm going to define that, I have to understand gender better. And uh, so I got into all this. You know, I boldly went where multitudes have gone before. If you want to see a big section at a library, go to the section on gender. And uh, I ended up reading thousands of pages on this stuff and lots of research. And um, just trying to get at the question of what does it mean for 
men followers of Christ to live as men, devoid of the traditional roles that have been put upon them, but listening clearly to God and listening to God who defines ultimately life and what does it mean to be male. And that's, that was my pursuit and the reason I, I uh, got into this. And, and I didn't, in my paper, I, that you know, it was 200 plus pages of, of work, and I ended up with one short little space, but no, that never in, in all of those 200 pages did any more work go into as much as that topic. It's a black hole, folks, of just what people have said, their perspectives, the research, and I think you know that. But um, my conclusion, and I'll share that with you, just to you know, let you know, I had to find a place to land to, to speak from, and basically is that there are differences between male and female. Hey, are you up for that? <laughs> but there are, you know, that's up for debate. And uh, so, uh, I, you know, you have to be careful how you talk about it. Those differences should not be overplayed nor underplayed, and we need to listen to God's voice. And here's the deal. And this is, this is the problem, really, it, it, part of it at least, is that when women hear there are differences between male and female, they translate that as, okay, here's another way that men are going to put me down. And I don't want to go there. That's not, that's not where God goes. But that's, I know that that sensitivity is there. One of the discoveries I made is that the French feminist movement was very different from the American feminist movement. And I, I use these terms broadly, but the French feminist movement emphasized the unique differences, the values of females. That those are to be accentuated and held up as good. Whereas the American feminist movement, which maybe has shaped our thinking, has wanted to downplay those differences more you know, in favor of, of getting some of the advantages that men have, we downplay those differences. So it's very different. And that's uh, just sharing some of the stuff I learned. Now, all of this uh, came out, it continues to just come out. Uh, ever since Genesis chapter 3, there has been this gender war thing happening in our world. You can read about it there right from the beginning. And... Um, it continues to play itself out. So Google this week, I don't know, many, the Google memo on diversity was in the news quite a bit. I read a lot about it. And it, if you, I won't go into all the details, but basically there was somebody who worked at Google that wrote a memo uh, trying to explain why there aren't more women working in the tech industry. And he used research, good research, to prove his point. Uh, and it did not go over real well because, again, when women hear of this stuff, why there aren't more women in the tech industry. It falls into what we'd call gender, gender stereotypes, created an uproar, the guy got fired. Uh, you know, it's, it's a mess. And, I, and I, 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 don't, I try to stand above that fray, but recognize that there's a lot going on there. And that's the world that we live in. So, um, the Bible here, uh, at least for some women, has been a place not of, of comfort, but of, it's been a place of pain. This particular passage that we're going to be in has been used in ways that have been hurtful uh, to women. And we'll explore that a bit and see maybe uh, how that got misused and that maybe Paul or the Lord is speaking to us in a way that is really helpful for all of us to hear. You see, if women... Here's, I'll, I'll go to one of the punchlines here, and that is that if, if women are hurt... The way God orchestrated things, men are hurt. 
Take that as, a, as there's, not a, there's a lot of things that we don't know when we talk about gender. That one we know. If women are hurt, men are hurt. If men are hurt, women are hurt. We're interdependent. We are created in God's image, male and female. We depend upon each other. And if one's hurt, the other is hurt. So I'm concerned uh, for women who are hurt, in part because it hurts men. Well, um, I'm going to look at this passage, and um, I want to. B- before we do, I want to just establish another truth, <laughs> and that's. Let me just ask you a question. Feel free to enter in on this rainy day. <laughs> what is the central revelation of Scripture? I mean, if you had to boil it down into one or just a sentence, what is it? God so loved the world. John 3.16. I mean, there's lots of ways you can say it, but it's the revelation of God's love through the person of Jesus Christ. Isn't it something like that? And when we come to a passage like this or others that are really, really difficult, and this is on the list of everyone's most difficult passages, it really is, and scholars, they, they wrestle with it. But when you come to these things, you've you got to keep sight of what the central revelation of Scripture is. And don't, don't define the whole by the weeds, or if I can, you know, the, 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 when you get down into the weeds, realize that there's another place that we need to go back to that helps us understand what those weeds are all about. And the weeds are not the main thing. So I just want to get that out there. And here's, um, uh, let's see here if I can, there we go. The context and uh, the problem, and then we're going to look at We'll spend a fair amount of time just looking at today because this stuff is, is quite relevant to us. But the context um, back there in first century Corinth was that uh, Paul is going to address here, and, and I'm just going to put it in the, the context of the whole letter. He's addressing three issues now that have to do with when you gather in worship, just like we are today, on a Sunday morning, when you gather in worship, he's going to talk about three issues that they seem to be struggling with. The first one is this thing here, which we'll call it head coverings for just the sake of whatever. But it has more to do with other stuff. But head coverings of women. And secondly is the Lord's Supper, which we'll get to next week. And the way they were doing it in a way that was really, really hurtful to certain people. And then the third one has to do with the gift or uh, the misuse of the gift of tongues uh, as it was being used in the worship settings there. So those are the three issues that Paul is going to wrestle with. And what I would consider the climax out of all of this or the best thing that comes out of all of this is 1 Corinthians 13 that has to do with love. And you could almost argue that if they had just been loving the way Paul talks about in chapter 13, he wouldn't have had to do to even address these issues that he's addressing now. So we'll get to uh, 1 Corinthians 13 at some point here. But head coverings, of the three issues, it is by far the one that is furthest from our world. I do not see any head coverings here this morning. Do I, and if you are wearing... I, I, did, I have seen them, actually. In when I, uh, I remember particularly a woman when I was in Alaska that came to our church with her family, and she'd come from a. This is the, where well, you'll find it is in very strict fundamentalist uh, places, and she had grown up as a missionary kid in uh, some place, and it just very, very, very strict. And she, she came to our church with 
she would say, all kinds of issues that related to her growing up. But one of them was that she was wearing a head covering, and she came in, and I, I, you know, it's kind of embarrassing when no one else is. You know how it is when you, you wear the wrong clothes? <laughs> and uh, She was the only one with a head covering that day. And she quickly took it off and realized it was so cool to see her discover the grace that had always been there, but she had never experienced. Not, not just taking off the head covering, but as time went on, as we had conversations. And so at any rate, this is a foreign place to most of us. Head, head coverings and um, uh, wanted to, uh, and for, I, I've already mentioned this, it's also a place where scholars scratch their heads uh, a lot. And uh, that's not a pun, but uh, scratching their heads, yeah. Uh, there is one word here that it, I'm not going to, there's so many things we could go into in this passage and it would, it would take us forever. But there is one word that I need to get in front of you. This is the Greek word kephal, kephale, and it has to do with the word head. And you see that, you heard that in the text, that the head of, of Christ is God and the head of man is Christ, you know, that word head. And it gets used both figuratively and literally in the text. And it either means, and this is where the argument goes, and the reason I'm pointing this out is because it, it depends on where you line up here in terms of your definition that will, that will be the interpretive key for the whole text. So if you're, uh, the traditional view or the conservative view or whatever you want to call it has been that head, it means chief or boss. And usually in the Greek, that word is translated arche. In fact, it's very rare in the Greek for it to mean chief or boss, the word kephali. Very rare. But that gets argued for, and that has been what has driven a lot of our thinking. And then the other way to look at it is the head as the source, as in the headwaters of a river. So the head of something, it's it's where you go to figure out where it started. And uh, so this... Uh, th- this text, ha- you can see how it can g- go di- different ways depending on the meaning you give it. And um, the, if you read it as, as boss or chief, then the problem that Paul is addressing in the text is that women are not taking their proper place in the church in terms of the hierarchy that God has set out. And the hierarchy, some would say, is a chain of command. You may have heard that phrase before, but it goes God and then Christ, which makes, by the way, it creates all kinds of issues theologically if you say God and then Christ in terms of God is the, the boss over Christ. That's basically a heresy, but they ignore that, this group. And you can tell where, I, 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 where my, my affections are here, but uh, that creates all kinds of issues. Uh, and, then, and then you have man, uh, and then you have woman, under man. This is the org chart. God, Christ, man, woman. And then you have children. This is how it gets explained. And then to just have some fun, you have the dog and then the cat. <laughs> From the cat's perspective, it would be the other way around, right? And then the mouse, whatever. But um, there's this chain of command thing. So that's how you would view this text. That's the problem there in Corinth that Paul would be addressing. Or if it's the head or the source, then what Paul is concerned about are gender confusion, gender breakdown, that men are not acting as men and women are not acting as women. Nothing to do with hierarchy, but that there's confusion of gender. And do we have confusion of gender today? Does this maybe have some uh, relevance to us? 
So yeah, I mean, I, I think we do. All right, so there's the, that, that's why that passage is, or that word is so important to understanding this. And if you, if you interpret it differently, let me just give you a couple of places here where it really matters. In verse, uh, in verse 4, it says that when a man uh, uh, prays or prophesies with his head covered, he dishonors his head, and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head covered dishonors her head. Now, the reason I point that one out is, guess what it says here? It says that women prophesy. Prophesying in the first century was something like what I'm doing right now. In other words, women are teaching in church. They are teaching men in church. The problem isn't that they're teaching. The problem is that they don't have something that says that they're feminine. I mean, but you won't, you, won't, you won't see that in the text if you're reading it in the traditional way. This is the way that this interpretive key is so helpful to us. And then it also, one of the phrases in here that may be troublesome to you, uh, if you're hearing it through the hierarchical lens, is found in verse 7 where it says that uh, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Does that bug you a little bit? <laughs> it, well, just listen to what Paul is saying. As he goes on from there, what he does do is develop the source theory that woman, out of Genesis, says that woman came out of man, that man is the head of woman in the sense that she came out of his side. She was made from him. That's all he's saying. There's no hierarchy implied here. But, and, and there's glory, and Paul goes on to say elsewhere that both men and women are created in the image of God. Both of them reflect the glory of God. So it's, um, we hear what we're used to hearing, and uh, I just want you to consider that there are many, many scholars who think this has been uh, hijacked, this whole thing, towards hierarchy, and it should be about the source Okay, there's the context. I want to give you the problem now, and this is going to be a little harsh on women, but bear with me. Paul is being a little harsh on women here because this is the problem. There are women in the church in Corinth who are, I'm going to say, over-spiritualized. Just to try to find the right words to say it. Hyper-spiritualized. And they uh, consider themselves to have more knowledge, and we talked about this, more knowledge and thus more freedom to act in certain ways that give them liberty in certain ways. Now, we don't know this yet because it's coming in chapter 15, but Paul has to correct them there on their understanding of the resurrection. It seems as if this particular group of women believes that the resurrection has already come and they're already living out of their resurrected bodies, which explains why back in chapter chapter 7, which we didn't have time to go into. It's a long chapter. It deals with all kinds of stuff, including marriage. And the women there, the wives there, are withholding their bodies from their husbands. Need I explain that any further? And and Paul says that is not good. And here's what's going on. They're over-spiritualized. They're they're thinking they're already living out of their uh, heavenly bodies, heavenly existence. And this is why they are looking down on others who don't have that same experience in their life. Elsewhere, here's another way to say it. Paul says in, in Galatians 3.28 that there is, in Christ there is no more male nor female, slave nor Jew, or slave nor, uh, uh, help me out here, free, or Jew nor Gentile. He, he says that. But 
it's true that that is where we're going, and it's true in a, in a sense that we're, there's implications of that for today, but there are still men and women, there are still people who are free and who are enslaved in, they had slaves in the first century, and there were still those who grew up in a Jewish home and those who were Gentiles. So what, what these women were doing was over-spiritualizing it and saying, it's already here, it's already come, the resurrection has already come, we are the spiritual ones. This is, this is at the heart of the, the whole letter. And it seems to be this, this group of women who were holding that and, um, and creating, creating these, uh, these problems. Now, uh, head coverings then were not a sign of submission, but because you had the women that were not wearing them, and it was culturally appropriate for women in that culture to wear head coverings. That, That was one of the things that said you were a woman, and men not so. And uh, that may be, uh, you know, the, the different cultures, different times in history will have things. We have our own things in that category. And if I were to come here on a Sunday morning in a dress, I would think that would be a little bit of a distraction to my wife, <laughs> to all of you. Uh, think of it at that level. This is a distraction. And Paul says in verse 6 that you might as well, he's using an analogy here, you might as well shave your heads. And that has been misinterpreted, by the way, as far as, we can, as far as I can tell. There's no research anywhere that's ever said that has anything to do with prostitution. It, it, I've heard that so many times that you figure that it's got to be true somewhere, but there's not any evidence for it. What the evidence is, is that women in that time period wanted to be more like, they wanted to be mannish, if I can put it that way, more like men. And so they did it by cutting their hair short, like men. And so this, is, this gets at the real issue here, is that Paul is addressing in Corinth women who are trying to be like men instead of being who God has created them to be. And that is an issue. And we have, you know, we can, that plays out today. So there, there's, there's the real, it has nothing to do with hierarchy. It's not saying that men are above women. It's just saying that women are trying to be like men, and that's, that's a real problem. And it is, it's a huge distraction in worship. I mean, just think, you're in the place, this is where it mentions the angels here. I think it's, you know, because of the angels, this, is a, this isn't good. But angels understand what it's like to be in the presence of God. And you don't want to have a bunch of distractions going on. We do our best here to limit the distractions. You know, just think of it practically. And these, these cultural markers of women wearing head coverings, them not wearing them was a distraction to men, or to all, really, who couldn't focus on God. It's just too big, too much change, too something. That's the problem that we're faced with. Okay, let's talk about today. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this into three, just there's so much that could be said, and, um, but I think I, w- I want you to hear God's word to you, not just what he was saying in the first century. The first thing I want to say, and I want to say this, um, it, it's going to sound, in one way it's going to sound very obvious, and in another way it's going to sound maybe a little profound. It is good 
to be a woman. And men need to say it. We, we, have, we don't say that enough. I don't know. I don't, the, 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 nothing gets said, I guess. But there has to be a voice coming from men. And this is where we need each other. Women need to hear from men that it is good to be a woman. That femininity is something that is a gift from God to women, but to men too. I have a friend who's an author, and um, I was able to... um, I've I've read his book. His name's Gordon Dalby, lives in Santa Barbara, and uh, has written, I think... He's more on the traditional side than, than I would be, but I really, really respect his voice, and some of the things that he says are so profound. He, uh, and his wife Mary is the one who put him up to this, but he will go to and speak at men's conferences in churches, places like this, for a weekend, but he insists that on the last night, and we actually had him come and do this, on the last night, the women would be there, the wives would be there, as many girls could be there as possible. Get them to come, because I want them to hear something. And he, he talks that night about the value of women. And to make his point... He has the men in the room imagine or maybe remember if they had this experience where they had a daughter who was born. And he says, I want you to imagine that or remember that. And here's the words I want you to say when you're told you have a little girl. You're going to say it with me. Hallelujah, it's a girl! (laughs) And he has the men say that three times. And by the third time, most of the women in the room are weeping. They've never heard that. They've never imagined that a man would say that. Hallelujah. It's a girl. Listen to those words over you, women. And they need to come from men, I think. I think that's the way God has created us interdependently. We need to hear from each other our value. And there's so much sin and brokenness that we sometimes just can't hear it. I've shared this story before, but one of the ways that this came home to me was back, it was back in the 80s, and I was driving in my car listening to Cairo. This is not an ad for radio station, but that's who it was. And uh, this is before they were into sports, by the way. This is, it was a news station back then. And there was a bank robbery and there was a, a woman reporter that came on the scene. And I can't remember her name, but the security guard had just been shot. And he's lying there with, in the pool of blood. And she's reporting, and she starts to weep. And she apologizes because she's reporting. And there would be those, <laughs> I guess, who would say, that's not professional. That's not what a man would do. Is that good? I think that's the... She reflects humanity in a way that a man would not reflect humanity. What a beautiful thing. Not that the guy was shot, but what a beautiful thing that we had a voice there that was different. And she doesn't have to be like a man and be whatever, stoic and cold, but she can be herself. Reflecting the glory of God, the compassion and mercy of God through public radio. 
I think that is a beautiful thing. That gets at something that is different but good, that is needed by men. (laughs) And I can't tell you how many women have been my teachers in life. And how I have learned from them and their perspective things that I never would have learned from men. Both in, in seminary about the Bible and in life. I mean, you know this just growing up in a home, what your mom can teach you. But I'm talking about in those places out there, we need women to teach us. Because we can't figure it out. Men just, women, are we a little clueless sometimes? Come on. <laughs> we need the, the, the different voices here. So that's the first thing I want to say is that it's a good thing to be a woman. And if you want to say amen, you can. Okay. The second thing is that what I've learned in this whole thing is that it's, um, you may have views that are like, you know, I'm on this side of the debate or I'm on this side of the debate. But ultimately, it's about what happens to you in a personal way. And... Um, let me just share a story about a woman that, it's a beautiful story since we're doing our baptism today, but um, I, I didn't know this woman other than by reputation, but she was the vice principal of a high school, uh, and um, then she started coming to church, and then she became the, the new principal of the new high school, and that's quite a deal. And you, she was, uh, by reputation, she was a feminist, <laughs> And um, and then when I and then she became baptized in Jesus Christ. And you know what she said? You know, coming out of the water. Now I'm a Christian feminist. <laughs> you know, like, okay. And we had a great relationship. And she she would be one of those people in the church that would remind me if I you know said something the wrong way or whatever. Not like any of you. Yeah. <laughs> No, um, it was, she's good. And I also knew, I got to know her husband, and I got, to know, I got to know that they were having issues in their marriage. And those issues had to do with him being way too passive. Now, her, uh, her feminism would say, uh, men need to empower women, and, and women need to step up into these places. And she did. She was very successful. She came into my office one day with a book. And I don't know where she got the book, but it was, it was out of the Promise Keepers movement. And it was written by a guy named Stu Weber, who I, um, I, I've appreciated his stuff. And it was called a Tender Warrior, I believe. It's good. But it, it is definitely not feminist, okay? And she put it on my desk. And she said, Pastor Mark, that's what I want for Pete. I want him to be that man. And what she was saying was, I'm a feminist, but I'm willing to put that aside for the sake of something that I, someone I love and for the sake of our marriage and the sake of our children. He needs to step up. And I, I, try, I tried to help, and unfortunately, unfortunately, they ended up getting a divorce, but fortunately, they ended up getting remarried. Yeah, it's one of those last I heard things, but... But I think, I think in that story, and the story can go the other way too. You can be a, a, a woman who, who believes that men should be in charge or something, but then you end up working for a company and you're treated like dirt. You know, it, it's what happens to you personally that really is the most important thing. So I've learned that. 
And then the third thing is that, and I mentioned this earlier, and you guys all know this, but we do live in an age. I don't. I don't think we. I think we forget how how different it is than years ago. And just I'll say different because there's some things that are better, some things that are worse. But we live in an age where there's a lot of gender confusion. And it's been five years now, I think, since Facebook went from you know, the two options of male or female to over 50 options now of you know, self-selecting the category, some of which are not even, and this, I'm not saying this to judge anybody, but they're not even human. I mean, there's, you know, I'm, I'm an alien or that kind of stuff. I don't know if that one's in there, but, I, but stuff like that. And um, so, but what the point there is, is that you choose your own identity. It's not something that has, God has determined that, that is given to you, but it's something that you self-select. And that is truly, truly, truly at the heart of what Paul is, is saying right here, is that is, that is it's, it's kind of the opposite of what Paul says. So let me read to you from uh, verses 11 and 12 again, and just listen to these words. In the Lord, so in the Lord, meaning for those who are in Christ, who consider his authority over them to be the main thing. In the Lord, however, women, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything, and this, this verse obviously covers a lot of territory, but everything, Paul says, comes from God. Yeah. Everything comes from God. Uh, gender confusion is... I, I want to challenge this on a personal level here, and this is particularly for men. And I got this from Gordon Dalby. And... Um, See if I can get it up here. This is a, a quote from him. If indeed the father calls both masculinity in the boy and femininity in the girl, the hallmark of fatherlessness in a society would be gender confusion. Now, I, there's a lot in that quote, and I, you may not agree with all of it. His contention is that fathers have been way too passive and that we have um, sidestepped our responsibilities in many areas, including loving our wives as Christ loved the church, but also in terms of calling a boy into masculinity and calling a girl into femininity and letting both of them know that this is a good thing. This is a really good thing. And if fathers aren't doing that, there's plenty of other voices out there that will create a lot of confusion. I think that's part of what is going on in our culture. But we can say this too. It's not just the father. I mean, that's a call to earthly fathers. But it's a call to all of us to listen to our heavenly father in this passage and in scripture. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, I value women. I value men. It's good to be a woman. It's good to be a man. You need each other. You're interdependent upon each other. If a female is hurting, it hurts the male and vice versa. Let's be each other's best supporters in this whole thing. Because not only are you good in your femininity and your masculinity that I've created, but it's broken. And I want to redeem it. I want to heal it. I want to grace it. This is the voice of God to each of us that we can hear and pass on to others, including our children. I want to lead us in a prayer right now. And if you would just, uh, I'm going to ask, why don't you go ahead and stand? It'll help you focus. And um, 
a short prayer. We'll start with men, and then we'll then we'll go to to women, and then close together. I want to start with men. Men, let's confess some things. And we, we, we are in need of confession. And women, hear our confession. You can eavesdrop on this. But men, I want you to own some or all of these words. We confess that we have sinned. Every time we have devalued women, we have sinned. In any way, by putting them down by counting them out, by limiting their advancement, or by treating them as objects, buying into stereotypes, not fully celebrating the gift and the goodness of femininity as equal in every way to the gift of masculinity. And Lord, we ask you, because you are the giver of these good gifts, for forgiveness. And we ask our sisters, those that you've given to us to walk through life with, we ask their forgiveness also. Now for women, uh, own this as much as it is yours, but this is an attempt of a man to try to put a prayer in your mouth, so it may not be right, but here it goes. Women, confess your thankfulness for being a woman, for who God made you to be as a woman, created in God's image. And then if there's any resentment of masculinity, it just or, or striving to be like a man that isn't really, and you know this in your heart, it's just not where God wants you to go, then give that to Jesus. Receive from him all that he has for you as a woman. And then, Lord, together we pray that you would knit us together, men and women, and you would help us to learn how to love each other deeply. In the Lord, in Christ we pray. Amen.